0: Heart of the Ronin Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy Written and produced by Travis Hearman. Voice talent by Daniel McCarville and Zeus Legion For more information, please visit travisherman.com. This novel contains violence and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 13. O Moon, Why Must You Inspire My Neighbor to Chirp All Night on a Flute? Koyo The young man's long trek through the mountains toward the village neared its end when he found a footpath winding through the pine forest. The path was too wide to be a game trail, and it pointed in the general direction he believed the village to be. Excitement surged in him, and his heart began to pound. He would see people again it had been so long he walked faster through the thick forest he heard and smelled the village before he saw it so many strange scents he could not begin to identify scents that did not exist in the wilderness he heard voices calling out to one another but too muffled by the forest to discern the words he heard the river down the slope the same river he had fished from and sought for comfort most of his life. He did not know if the river had a name, only that it passed near the mountain where he had lived until two days ago. Silver Crane hung from his rope belt, banging against his left hip, and his bow and arrows hung from his back beside his traveling pack. With each step, feeling the weight of the steel weapon against his leg, he felt a beat of pride. He had waited for so long, dreamed of these days he was now living. He was free to see the world and to carry his father's blade. He sometimes feared he must be inside a dream, and that he would wake up to find himself sleeping in the cold, dark cave. The sword's weight still felt unfamiliar to him, but that would change. He tried to think about what he would say to the people he found. How would they respond to him? His teacher had told him to be cautious, so he would be cautious, but friendly. He felt like a lost child coming home. The forest ended suddenly and he emerged into the outskirts of the village. The path wended its way along the earthen embankments between rice fields toward the group of perhaps 40 houses and buildings straddling the river. He saw a wooden bridge crossing the river among the houses on the far side of the village the mountains again heaved up out of the earth to create a deep green wall of pine forest the trees with their long naked trunks topped by bushes of green needles a backdrop for the plain wooden houses with their thatched roofs and weathered sides then he noticed a man in one of the rice fields beside the path the man squatted on his haunches working so that only his conical straw hat and his shoulders were visible in the sea of green. The bright green rice plants rippled in the breeze, with the kernel heads just beginning to form on the grassy stalks. The young man walked toward him and stopped on the path perhaps ten paces from him. He said nothing, but watched the farmer. He wanted to speak, but did not know what to say. His teacher had little use for even simple greetings. Then a voice cried out from the village. The farmer's straw hat jerked up and looked around. The farmer's eyes fixed upon him and then almost bulged out of his head. The young man smiled at him. The farmer's face convulsed with fear, and he said something unintelligible. Two other men and a woman stood on the path, watching, frozen with expectation. What did you say? asked the young man. I did not understand you. His teacher had told him that men had many different tongues and often could not understand each other. Now he wondered if he would be able to communicate with these people at all. The farmer jumped to his feet, turned and ran toward the village as fast as his spindly legs would carry him. The young man could only watch him go. He called out to the villagers. I'm not going to harm you. He waved and walked toward them. When the farmer reached the others, he stopped and turned to watch the young man's approach. The four villagers watched him, appearing to grow more fearful with each of the young man's steps. He stopped. He did not know what to do. He tried smiling wider and showing them that he had no weapons in his hands. This appeared to change nothing in their demeanor. Then, out of the corner of his eye, he caught a flicker of movement. He turned to look, just in time to spot another young man behind an embankment near a rice field, just in time to spot the fist-sized stone as it sailed toward him. The stone struck him squarely in the forehead, a blaze of searing pain, then nothing. The young man awoke to a cock crowing and a splitting pain in his head. Opening his eyes was an act of sheer will. His eyelids felt as if they had been asleep for a year. His mouth was as dry as a bed of fallen pine needles and his entire body felt as weak as a sparrow hatchling. His blurred vision took in the dark thatched ceiling of a house. He heard sounds of incomprehensible activity around him. Voices outside the house, movement inside, the laughter of children, the rhythmic beat of a hammer somewhere. A hunched human shape sat near him with its back turned. He licked his lips, and a dry rattle escaped his throat. The person sitting nearby turned toward him and became a shaven-headed man dressed in simple linen robes. His face was broad and weathered, and he had many wrinkles at the corners of his eyes. He looked strange to the boy. Then the man smiled, and a look of kind concern shaped his features into a smile. He said something that the young man did not understand. He moved toward the young man, bringing a bowl with him. He lifted the bowl to the young man's lips and poured a trickle of cool water into his mouth. It was the sweetest thing he'd ever tasted. He gulped at it. The old man spoke again, and this time the young man thought he heard the words, Eyes bright. Another shape moved into view behind the man. A woman, her back hunched as if from a great weight, wearing simple clothes like the man, with her hair hidden by a scarf. Her face was lined and wrinkled like the man's and her eyes sparkled with curiosity. The young man wondered what they would do with him now. Was he a prisoner? Somehow, he did not think so. But why had the villagers been so afraid of him? The woman spoke, and the young man heard the words, Looks like. I knew. Dangerous. The old man spoke. Don't think so. His face. I knew wrong. The young man said, please, more water. His voice was little more than a hoarse whisper. The old man smiled, speaks. Then he poured more water into the young man's mouth. The young man said, I cannot understand you. You speak strangely. The old man listened, appearing to think about the young man's words. Then he nodded, as if he understood. He spoke slowly. My name is Takao. I am a priest in this village. I am sorry, frightened of you, not dangerous. To me, this is my wife, Kaio. We have tried to heal you. You have... Since yesterday. This time, the young man understood. He reached up to touch his head and felt it swathed in cloth. The cloth across his forehead was stiff and caked with dried blood. Be careful. Your skull was cracked. You must rest and heal a while longer. Thank you for not killing me. Takao laughed and his eyes sparkled. No need to worry about that now. No one will harm you. The young man allowed himself to slip into blackness again, where there was no pain in his head. His periods of wakefulness grew longer each time. The priest and his wife fed him broth and rice porridge, and the next day he was able to stand without being toppled by dizziness. He was still afraid to go outside, however, for fear of another stone to the forehead. The old priest tried to put him at ease, telling him that he was so heavily armed and looked so fierce that the villagers thought he was a robber or an Ainu raider. The young man understood. He might have done the same thing in their place. What is your name, boy? The priest asked him one day. I don't have a name. Takao's eyes widened in surprise. No name? Have you no parents? I have no parents. An orphan, living in the wilderness. That is terrible. The young man did not know what to say. Would you like to have a name? He nodded. What kind of name would you like? I don't know any names. Perhaps I could be called Bear or Wolf. Takao laughed, and the lines around his eyes seemed to grow deeper. Kuma? Okami? Do you want everyone to be terrified of you? No. Then those names just will not do. They are too fierce. "'Your name should be strong, but not fierce.' "'The old man thought for a moment, rubbing his chin. "'May I give you a name?' "'Yes, please do,' the young man nodded earnestly. "'Then you will be called Kenishi. "'You came to us with little more than a sword, "'and you have been trained to use it. "'Ken, and a stone brought you to my house.' Ishi. You shall be called Kenishi. The young man repeated it to himself a few times, trying to get the feel of it on his tongue. Is it a good name? Kenishi asked. Yes, it is a fine name. The old man's smile widened, and his gaze seemed to look into the distance. Thank you, Takao. I am Kenishi. I am pleased to meet you for the first time, Kanishi, Takao said, chuckling and bowing. Kanishi smiled in return and bowed. I am pleased to meet you too. Come, let's go sit outside. There is a nice breeze. Kanishi followed him, and they sat down in the shade of the house. A pleasant, cool breeze wafted over them. Takao picked up a stick. Here. Watch this. I'll show you how to write your name. In the dirt, the old man drew two complicated-looking characters. There. This is your name. Ken. He pointed to the first one. This character can also be read as Tsurugi, but I think Ken sounds better, yes? Simplicity. Kenishi nodded. Takao pointed to the second character. And this one is Ishii. stone. Let me show you. He put the stick in Kanishi's hand, adjusted his grip. Gently. Pretend it's a brush. What's a brush? Takao paused, then said, Never mind. Just hold it this way. Then he took Kanishi's hand in his own and guided him through the first character's 15 separate strokes, scratching the character into the dirt. They repeated this process a few times, and then Takao erased all the previous attempts with his hands. Now, do it yourself. Kanishi's hand seemed to remember the order and direction of the strokes, and he repeated it flawlessly. Then they repeated the process with the much simpler second character, this is my name, he thought. I am Kanishi. Good, well done, the old man chuckled. Kanishi smiled, swelling with pride. They sat in silence for a while. The young man thought about his new name, scratching it over and over into the dirt. Kanishi. Let the power begin here, he thought. Let my name draw its power from the symbols in the dirt. Then Takao said, How long have you lived in the wilderness, Kanishi? For as long as I can remember. Alone. Kanishi told him the story of how he had been raised by his teacher. The priest was surprised that a tengu had been so kind to raise a human child, and that one lived so close by. Tengu were uncommon, but not unheard of in these parts, and were given a wide berth to avoid any instances of unpleasantness. There were old stories of conflict between men and Tengu. The Tengu race's dislike for humans, along with their sometimes foul temper, was well known. Takao said it explained the young man's lack of etiquette and manners, as well as his strange dialect. He told Kanishi that he could stay here as long as he liked. As soon as he was healed, Takao would teach him many things. Takao questioned him about his family, but he could provide no answers. Takao explained that the villagers thought Kanishi to be one of the Ainu people, a strange race who had been driven out in ancient times. The Ainu now lived in lands far away, but they sometimes raided villages in the north in attempts to reclaim their ancestral territory. They were ancient enemies, and the hardy villagers were always on the lookout for them. Before long, Kanishi felt hale and strong, and he began to work around Takao's house and the small shrine where the priest practiced his rites to the kami of the earth and sky and water, the guardian kami of the village the spirits of the mountains and forest. It seemed like a lot of effort to please such capricious entities as the kami, but Kanishi understood it. He had learned well how to listen to the voices of the spirits. The priest had much responsibility to keep the village safe and prosperous, and if the kami were displeased, the village would suffer. Every day, Takao made him sit down and learn new characters characters for numbers and things and gods. It was slow and difficult, and Kanishi often wondered about the purpose of writing, but he was glad that he could write his name, and something about it felt magical, as if the strokes of the characters gave order to unharnessed power. He liked living in Takao and Kyo's house. It was warm and comfortable, and he had food to eat, He tried to allay the villagers' distrust and fear by behaving well, and it seemed that as the summer moved toward autumn, they began to accept him and to become more at ease in his presence. But he could hear whisperings of the kami in the back of his mind, telling him that he could not stay here forever. The villagers might tolerate him, but they would never accept him. He acquainted himself with the other young men in the village. He sensed the mutual distrust. They were afraid of him, because they had no weapons like his. And he remembered the face of the young man who had felled him with a stone. That young man's name was Ryoichi, and he was the leader of the young men. Ryoichi considered himself one of the protectors of the village, and to him, Kanishi was a threat that must be contained. Some of the younger boys were friendly and tried to talk to him, but they eventually stopped coming to see him, and when Kanishi saw them in the presence of Ryoichi, they looked away sheepishly. This made Kanishi angry. He wanted to fight Ryoichi to defeat the boy who had become his enemy, but he knew that he did not dare harm anyone. That would only make things worse. He could not remember ever seeing a girl before he came to the village, but recognized them by the things that his teacher had said. He often watched them, trying to study how their bodies and faces were different from his. Sometimes their beauty entranced him. Like the young men, the young women were afraid of him, too. He could sense their eyes on him when he was not looking. But when he smiled at them, they ran away. Sometimes, when they ran away from him, they giggled. Sometimes their eyes were wide with fear. All except for one. The first time he saw her, he was chopping wood beside Takao's house in the lingering light just after sunset. He happened to glance a slim, pale shape moving between some houses on the adjacent street, higher up the mountain slope. He looked up and saw this same beautiful young woman with lustrous hair and sharp eyes. She appraised him with an expression of curiosity and amusement before she slipped away out of sight. He saw her the second time a few days later, at sunset, when he was carrying water to the house. He spied her down the street ahead of him. She looked over her shoulder and flashed him a look that said, Follow me if you think you can. But he could not. He could not drop the water buckets, so he tried to trot after her without spilling the water. He thought he heard her laugh as she disappeared around a house at the end of the street. His curiosity was aroused, and he decided that the next day he would look for her. He could not find her the next day, or the day after that, and it troubled him because he wanted to see her face again. She was so beautiful." One day, he decided that he would ask Toko about her that evening after supper. As he was returning from gathering wood in the forest, just before sunset, his arms cradling a large bundle of branches, he was astonished to see her on the path ahead of him, sitting on a rock, as if she had been there waiting for him. Her voice was light and musical. "'You are slow today, Kenishi,' she smiled." He stammered. How do you know my name? Oh, come now, don't be silly. Everyone knows who you are. He nodded, conceding that he was well known to everyone in the village, even though he knew almost no one. But I don't know who you are. I am Haru. Can you come and talk to me for a while? I'm sorry, I I would like to, he said, but I have to take this wood back. Her lower lip popped out into a lovely pout. Kanishi blinked and stared. That is too bad, she said. I have been so looking forward to talking to you. I have been looking for you, too. Haru is a nice name. Spring. Can I talk to you tomorrow? That would be quite nice. During the day? No, I can't during the day. I keep my father's house during the day, and he would not allow me to leave. In the evening, I can sometimes get out for a while. We can meet here tomorrow? Yes. Good. But it must be a secret. Tell no one. My father would beat me if he found out. I will tell no one. Where do you live? Why can I never find you in the village? "'I live in the forest, in my father's house. He is a woodsman. I am sorry, but I must go now, and so should you. You must not keep the good priest waiting.' He nodded. She stepped aside, and as he passed her, he caught her scent. He stopped, astonished. He had never smelled anything like it before.' A heady mixture of spring flowers, pine needles, and a warm, earthy, musky scent he could not identify. Her smell was in his nostrils all the way home, even through dinner and into bed. He was hardly aware of the presence of his foster parents while he ate. Her smell was fresh in his mind when he awoke the next morning, and the image of her face in his mind was clear. He could hardly wait for dusk. All day long, he wanted to be with her, to touch her, to feel her, and he imagined what it would be like. That afternoon, he told Takao that he was going into the woods to practice archery. He took his bow and arrows and practiced with them until the appointed time grew near. When he went to their meeting place, and she saw him carrying his weapons, a look of terror crossed her face, and she recoiled away from him. "'No, wait,' he said. "'Don't be afraid. "'I was just practicing.' "'She seemed to relax a bit, "'but would not readily be put at ease. "'Her gaze kept darting toward the arrows. "'I am glad you are here,' she said. "'I have wanted to see you all day long.' "'A huge grin split his face. "'I know a secret place where we can talk. "'We must keep our meeting a secret.' or my father will beat me. As you wish, he said. He noticed a strange buzzing in his ears and wondered for a moment what it was. He followed her up the path for almost 200 paces. Then she slipped off the path between the towering pine trunks, behind an outcropping of rock and earth. Behind the outcropping, a narrow game trail led up the slope of the mountain into the forest. He lost sight of the footpath behind him. He turned and watched her for a moment. Her gait and movements were so graceful and lithe. She looked over her shoulder at him, fixed him with a mischievous gaze, and smiled. The glint in her eye quickened his pace to catch up with her. Soon she led him into a small clearing nestled between two large boulders surrounded by fallen logs. "'This is my secret place,' she said. He said nothing but the sense of seclusion here was almost palpable. The two boulders lay against one another, with a deep, dark cavity hidden in their crook. The cavity looked cozy, like a small cave or a den. Let's sit down, she said. Come, sit beside me. She sat down near the dark cavity between the boulders, and he sat beside her. He reached out and touched her arm, then pulled back, unsure of himself. She did not flinch away from him. He looked into her deep, dark eyes and saw the inner spark, joyous and free, laughing perhaps, inviting. He touched her again, unsure what to do now. He had once seen Ryoichi kiss one of the village girls below the bridge. Kanishi decided to try it. He leaned forward and put his lips on her mouth. He felt her smile at first, then her lips molded to his. Lightning shot through him and the buzzing in his ears grew louder. Her teeth felt strange behind her lips. His body felt like a vibrating bowstring, and he grabbed her and pulled her close. Laughter bubbled out of her, and she pulled away. "'Are you hungry?' His face was hot, and he clasped his knees. Yes. I'll bring you some food. Wait here. She slipped away into the forest, leaving him alone. He had never felt such ecstasy as that kiss, and he wanted to do it again. An interminable time passed, and the world grew dark with night. He yawned uncontrollably. He felt indescribably weary. Sleepy. She was beside him again. Don't worry, she said. Don't worry about anything. You can sleep here for a while if you're tired. I have some food if you're hungry. His stomach growled. I am hungry. After a nap, though. He settled down and rested his head on a log. Why did he feel so sleepy? Before he knew it, he had drifted off to sleep. And such pleasant sleep it was, dreamless, deep, without a care. He vaguely remembered Haru bringing him food, and he remembered waking up long enough to eat it, and he remembered eating it with relish, and he remembered drifting off to sleep again afterward. He remembered crawling deeper into the cavity between the boulders. It was such a comfortable, inviting place, so quiet smelling of the moist earth and dry pine needles inside. He did not know how long he slept, but he heard voices calling out. Takao's voice, calling his name. He had the strange urge to run away and hide and find a deep burrow where no one could find him. The voices grew louder, and he began to rouse from slumber. Kanishi, Takao's voice, where are you? He sat up. I am here. What is it? His voice sounded strange to him for a moment. What? What's that? A gaggle of confused voices. Is that you, Kanishi? Where are you? I am right here. He stood up and looked around. Haru was gone. She must have run away, not wanting them to be discovered together. Takao and a few of the other villagers stood staring at him a few dozen paces down the slope. Then he noticed that the spot where he had been lying looked different than how he remembered. The massive boulders were not boulders at all, but only two stones that stood as tall as his waist, and what he remembered as fallen logs were only thick branches. Confusion threw his mind into chaos. He looked around. The cavity between the boulders was little more than a burrow. He was still standing there when the villagers reached him. Relief was painted thick on Takao's features. I am so happy we found you. Kanishi's confusion deepened. Why? I have not been lost. What have you been doing in the woods all this time? Some of us thought perhaps you had run away, but I knew you would not leave your weapons behind. Why would you think I had run away? I have only been away from the village since this afternoon. Takao and the villagers looked at one another. Takao asked cautiously, What have you been doing up here? Kanishi blushed and hesitated. Please tell me. No one will be angry. We have been worried about you. I was with a girl from the village. For this long, none of the village girls have been missing. What was her name? I don't want to cause trouble for her. She said her father would beat her if he found out. Takao rubbed his chin. Then you may tell me. I will tell no one. He turned to the other villagers standing behind him. Please go down the slope a little ways, everyone. The boy wishes to protect someone's reputation. The villagers grumbled a bit, but obeyed, and shuffled down the slope out of earshot. Now, Kanishi, you may tell me her name. I will disclose it to no one. Her name is Haru. Takao looked at him and rubbed his shaven head. Haru, you say? Yes. "'And she is from this village, you say?' "'She said her father is a woodsman, "'and she lives with him near the village in the forest.' "'Takao rubbed his head again "'and fixed the young man with a searching gaze. "'I'm not sure I understand, but... "'There is no girl from the village named Haru. "'There are no woodsmen living near the village in this forest.' "'Kanishi frowned. She had lied to him. Why? "'She was here not long ago. She must be nearby. We must find her. She can tell us the truth.' "'Kanishi,' the priest began, his voice slow and careful. "'Do you know how long you have been gone?' "'Since early this afternoon.' The priest shook his head sadly. "'You have been missing for almost a week.' Kanishi felt the words like a blow to the head. A week? Yes, a week, Takao repeated. His knees felt weak. He sat down against one of the stones. He looked down and saw the carcasses of three rabbits, now little more than tufts of hair, dried skin, and bones. Their flesh had been devoured. Something strange has happened to you, my boy. "'but you are safe now. "'We must entreat the kami to protect you tonight, "'or you may still fall prey to evil spirits.' "'But what happened?' Kanishi asked. "'Then one of the villagers cried out, "'Look!' Kanishi and Takao turned "'and followed where the man was pointing. "'There, atop another large rock, "'perhaps fifty paces distant, was a fox.' Its rusty brown fur seemed to glow with a healthy luster, its bushy tail hanging behind it, and its eyes were sharp and penetrating, sparkling with mischief. Kanishi knew those eyes. Takao glanced at the young man, and Kanishi looked at him for a moment. Understanding crept across the priest's features. Takao called out to the fox, Aru! "'You must trouble this boy no longer. "'He is meant for greater things than to go with you. "'Please do us this favor and trouble him no more.' "'Anger flashed in her sparkling yellow eyes as if to say, "'Do you think I would obey you?' "'Takao turned to Kanishi. "'Come, my boy, we must go. "'We do not wish to anger her any further.' An angry fox can cause a lot of trouble. Then he turned back to the fox and bowed deeply. We are sorry for troubling you, Haru. Please accept our apologies. But the fox was already gone, and Kenishi was left with nothing but confusion and shame. Takao and the other villagers led him back down the mountain toward the village. Kaio was so pleased when Kanishi returned that she embraced him, She was normally so quiet and reserved that he was taken aback, but the warmth of her affection dispelled that quickly. For days and weeks after his experience, Kanishi thought about what happened. How could he have been so easily duped? His master had warned him about foxes. He should have been more careful. Foxes hid in their dens during the day. The villagers left offerings of food and sake in the forest for weeks afterward to appease the fox against any mischief she might cause. One day, Takao walked up to Kanishi and said, Don't worry about it too much, my boy. She was beautiful, wasn't she? Kanishi nodded. The priest chuckled. You're not the first man to fall victim to a lovely face, nor will you be the last but he had fallen prey far too easily. What troubled him most was that it might happen again, because even as he wished to stay out of danger, he still wished to see Haru again. She was so beautiful, and she truly liked him, he thought, liked him enough to want to keep him with her. Perhaps he would have enjoyed being a fox for the rest of his days. But no. Such thoughts were foolish and weak. Haru had lied to him, tricked him. His master had told him that he had no name except for the one he made for himself. Well, he would make a name for himself, or die in the attempt. He knew in his spirit that he would not stay here forever, but it seemed wrong for him to simply leave. But he did not have long to think about these things. Not long after Takao and the villagers saved him from Haru, a string of bad fortunes swept through the village in spite of their attempt to appease her. Two of the farmers were injured in a rock slide. Their legs were broken, and they would spend the entire harvest season unable to work. The livestock around the village began to disappear. Pigs, chickens, and ducks vanished overnight. The sake brewers' entire stock soured inexplicably. The potter's kiln cracked and fell apart. And worst of all, the entire rice crop developed strange black spots. The farmers feared for the harvest. The harsh winter would be devastating if the rice crop failed. Kanishi noticed the unpleasant looks the villagers gave him. Some were so hostile that he found himself wishing he carried his sword. His weapons were hidden in Takao's house. This hostility increased as the weeks progressed and the village's bad fortunes multiplied. There were whispers that Kanishi was the cause of it all, that the strangeness of his presence had angered the kami, and the priest was powerless to placate them because the young man lived in his house. There were those who believed that all the bad fortune was the result of Kanishi's encounter with the fox. Haru was angry now, and was taking her vengeance on the village. In any case, it was all Kinishi's fault. He could sense that his foster parents were feeling the pressure. He saw it in their faces. They looked at him with such pity and kindness, but they would never ask him to leave. He wondered if they believed what the other villagers were saying, even a little. That was when he knew it was time to leave. So one morning, at the break of dawn, he packed up his things, slung his pack and bow over his shoulder, tied on his sword, and prepared to depart. A heavy sadness weighed upon his shoulders and chest. He would never see anyone here again. Takao was already sitting on a log outside the house as he stepped outside. The priest glanced at him, then looked down at the ground his profound sadness evident on his face. He said nothing, only nodded. Kanishi said nothing as he stopped before the priest, knelt, and bowed deeply several times. Tears burned his eyes, and he wiped them away as he stood up. Then he turned his back and walked away, never to return. Thank you for listening to Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy by Travis Hearman. Volume 2, Sword of the Ronin, and Volume 3, Spirit of the Ronin, are available now on your favorite audiobook platform. Please visit TravisHeerman.com, look me up on social media, or send me an email. I would love to hear what you think about the story.